I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. All right, I'm sorry, we have to talk about Elon Musk. We have a lot of fun on the show and on Motherboard at Musk's expense, and whatever he's doing on Twitter certainly looks like the weird flailing of a man who doesn't know how to run a company. But just for the next hour, let's set all that aside and take Musk seriously. He is the richest man in the world. He has big dreams and some of the resources to achieve them. The Pentagon is paying him for rocket launches. Starlink works and has been instrumental in the war in Ukraine. So let's go back to basics. Who is Musk? Why do we care about him so much? His detractors see him only as a shit poster who's, you know, made some great business bets. His fans see him as this messianic figure, a superhero who will lead us into a new golden age of technology. But what's the truth? Is it somewhere in between? Is the answer that simple? Well, here to help me figure all this out is Motherboard Managing Editor, Jordan Pearson. Jordan, thank you so much for coming onto the show today. Of course. All right. So is it fair to say, maybe fascinated is the wrong word, but that you are interested in Elon Musk? Yeah, I think, I mean, somewhat involuntarily, like most of us, I think, um, you know, we're all forced to... Uh, not just be aware of him, but to uh, sort of be along for the ride uh, just by virtue of his wealth and his business endeavors. And of course, now his purchase of Twitter is just one more sort of tendril in our lives. Um, So, yeah, I mean, like probably not fascinated, although I think he is um, fascinating in a sense, but, you know, he wields so much power and, uh, the companies that he runs um, are doing interesting is probably not quite the right word, although it is very interesting, but like, you know, important stuff um, that we, we have to talk about him basically. Uh, and on top of all of that, he is a shit, he is a shit poster. Um, and he is like a very flawed person, obviously. And yeah, all of that gives plenty of fodder for uh, reporting and, uh, you know, to a certain degree, theorizing, because we can't really know what's inside his mind, um, what's really going on here. So let's get some new stuff out of the way right at the top. Some things have happened since the last time we talked about Twitter and about Musk. Um, so he brought back Trump. What's going on? They're bringing people back. Yeah, I mean, with with Trump, like. I, I see like Elon's purchase of Twitter. I mean, first we should be clear that he didn't want to buy the company. Um, you know, he actually had, like on the day that he was laying people off, he spoke at, at an investment conference and was like, look, I didn't want to buy it. I overpaid for it, but here we are. Um, so yeah, I mean, we've, we've all seen kind of like the mess that he's made so far, like of Twitter uh, and the Trump thing. It's, kind of indicative of his very chaotic approach to Twitter and probably to a certain extent, many other things uh, in his business life, let's say, Uh, because, you know, when he's, when he started Twitter, when he started taking control of Twitter, I should say, 
he was saying, you know, we're going to have a content moderation council. They're going to make big decisions. And kind of the Trump decision was sort of implied in that. And then we can kind of see how that was like sort of just shoved away uh, when he ran a Twitter poll and then sort of pretended that that was some kind of authoritative um, ruling on the topic and then reinstated Trump. Uh, and it's kind of hard not, to, I mean, I'm sure to a certain extent he sees it as being part of his free speech mission, uh, with Twitter or like, you know, his supposed free speech mission. But I think probably there is a part of him that also sees it as being a play for engagement. And, you know, Trump is, a, was, is a huge poster kind of like a mega Twitter user for better or for worse um, at the time he was on Twitter. So, I mean, it is kind of just a little sad uh, because it does seem like flailing to just bring back Trump like that. And of course, tr- Trump hasn't tweeted. Yeah. That's, um, that's my, that's my favorite part. And I think would yeah, be objectively like the funniest outcome is if he just didn't come back. Yeah. I mean, why would he like, you know, the number one draw on truth social is Trump posts. Um, so to put that on Twitter is just, you know, I don't see why he would do that. And, uh, Elon reinstating him just, you know, it does seem a little desperate. The other, the other thing I want to hit here are the employees. How many people are left at Twitter? Uh, it feels like every day I hear a different story about people being fired, weird emails being sent. What's the latest? Well, I think the, the last thing that I heard was like Twitter has under 3000 employees um, that are left and uh, they have to send an email update at the end of every Friday, um, just saying what they're working on, which is like absurd. Like these are like that, you know, hundreds or thousands of people that are like sending an email saying, here's what I'm doing. Like clearly no one is really picking up on that on any detail. It's just like, you know, did you send the email? Are you like passing this sort of, you know, perception of productiveness that we're going for here. Um, And we also saw Musk tweet over the weekend that he was having kind of an all-nighter. Basically, it's seemingly just kind of learning how Twitter works. He called it a code review, but it really just based on the photos kind of seemed more like people sitting him down and really just explaining like, okay, this is how the nuts and bolts of the service actually work. Like it's not just like you enter things into a box and they magically go online and it's all super easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, there are people left at Twitter. Um, it seems like a lot of, a lot of people are worried that potentially not enough people to really keep the site running are there. I don't really know if that's true or not. Um, but it definitely seems like kind of a, a, a skeleton crew in a sense with a lot of like power and authority being, uh, essentially concentrated in Musk. Uh, and he's sort of, you know, running this like a little fiefdom, which we've seen with, the, with his previous companies and his man and his management style, which by the way, based on the number of like lawsuits and complaints that we've seen at his other companies, doesn't seem like it results in a very nice place to work. Um, so I think we can say that about it. All right. Now let's get to, I think the, like the big question I want to talk about for the rest of the show. Um, this is a guy who said he wanted to inspire humanity to travel to Mars and to explore space. He wanted to grow green things on the surface of the red planet. And he is working towards that. Um, you know, the rockets are real. The Pentagon contracts are real. How, 
how do we get that guy to be flailing on how do we get into this world where that guy is also now flailing on Twitter and getting hurt that Trent Reznor left? Mm-hmm. Like, why is this a th- why? Well, this is what's, I mean, this is what is like, inter- this is what makes Elon Musk kind of worth thinking about as like an entity um, in business and in geopolitics. Uh, and of course, a Twitter user. Um, so, I mean, Elon Musk is obviously, he's a huge nerd, uh, kind of like the, the typical like Redditor, like early in like 2000s rationalist internet user referencing like, you know, Rocco's Basilisk is how he found his, uh, you know, previous partner Grimes bonding over that sort of thing. Wait, wait, I gotta, I gotta put a pause for the people who don't know. Can you explain the Rocco's Basilisk thing and like how mm-hmm. it's tied into like early Reddit atheists? Yeah. So Rocco's Basilisk was this, was a post that was made on a forum called less wrong, which is kind of like an early two thousands, like rationalist sort of like tech aligned free, free thinking type, forum. Uh, and the idea is basically like, you know, a, a super powerful AI in the future may come back, may not come back, but like have influence in time travel and like punish people who didn't bring it into, uh, being or, or force them to work to bring it into being. So it's just this like, um, thought experiment that, uh, kind of speaks to a lot of things that Musk clearly finds interesting and sort of animate his philosophy um, specifically this idea of like long-termism and existential risk to humanity, uh, which he talks about a lot and you can see kind of reflected in his focus on like population and even like in be, being an interplanetary species. But anyway, so, but this also goes back to like the, the sort of like cultural milieu it comes from, which is like very nerdy, interested in sci-fi kind of rationalist online, um, what we might call today, like a typical Redditor, uh, type person. So that's where Rocco's Basilisk comes from. And yeah, he bonded with, um, Grimes over that because they, they essentially both made kind of a, a very low effort joke about it. Something like Rococo Basilisk was the joke, I think, but that, that's the, that's the story behind that. Okay. Sorry. I derailed you, but like, this is kind of the the personality outline for his whole like it kind of I don't know what to say it explains him, but it explains his posting style. Yeah, and like you know, the other part of just like in terms of his personality, like we're not even talking about like his business or like what function he serves in like geopolitics or like American business, but like he's clearly addicted to Twitter, like in an unhealthy way. Um, there was a tweet recently from a VC friend of Musk that like was supposedly like a friendly thread, but really, you know, it sort of outed him as like an avid close up music magician, uh, and like someone who like maybe doesn't have a lot of close friends, but is like traveling around a lot and meeting people and having meetings. And so you kind of have this like image of like the like brain poisoned person with posters disease um, who, you know, clearly like, like any poster who posts on Twitter a lot seeks validation, um, from a large crowd of people. Uh, and I mean, he's flawed. Like we see it every day on Twitter. Like he's clearly having a meltdown. 
like why all, while all of this is going on and like posting through it. Um, and that is a really interesting part of his personality because we can, cause we can look at his business, his business decisions. Um, so, I mean, we can talk about SpaceX and Tesla as probably the two like successful things that he's done. I mean, SpaceX undoubtedly successful Tesla, obviously right now not doing so well in terms of stock price, but what he has really excelled at um, in the past is to kind of tap into geopolitical currents and trends uh, in the U.S. specifically and in the West and kind of be like, put his hand up and be like, I'll be the guy. So, you know, with SpaceX, the company emerged at a time where there were like, this is the early 2000s there were like increasing tensions between like Russia and the U S and there was already this question forming of like, you know, we can't use Russian rockets forever. Yeah. This so, is, a, this is important because one of the only companies that was manufacturing booster rockets at the time that everyone was using was in Russia, right? Mm-hmm. Like no one else was doing it. So you had yeah. to deal with them. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, Musk Musk's um, insight there is just to be like, you know, I'll put my hand up and I'll be the guy to be America's rocket guy. Like I'll do it. And the government, you know, gave him tons of grants. Like this is the other thing is like he tweet, he kind of poses as someone who is like maybe anti authority to a degree, but his biggest successes have kind of been riding these currents of um, American and Western interests and priorities, including electric cars Um, because obviously, you know, SpaceX has gotten so many government grants over the years, like before it even launched a rocket, it was getting millions of dollars in grants. Um, and now of course it has like billions of dollars in contracts, um, because it's, you know, bringing America to the moon, uh, and, uh, in his mind, probably beyond. Um, but Tesla also has benefited greatly from government programs in terms of like being able to sell, uh, environmental credits to other car makers, uh, and, you know, really kind of like pad its balance sheet, uh, in that way. And of course, like also subsidies, um, to customers for buying their cars sort of allowed them to, um, cement themselves in the industry. So in both cases here with, um, you know, wanting to reduce reliance on Russian rockets and wanting to increase electric cars, you see Musk has been the guy to sort of put his hand up and say, and really go for it and sort of reap the, the the benefits from government and society um, along the way. And uh, we can look at his other things that have been much less successful. Of course, like, you know, we can talk about Hyperloop or the boring company or even the Twitter deal. And we can kind of see the cracks in this image of him as someone who is like omniscient and like extremely brilliant um, because the things that he, that we know him for as being extremely successful essentially align, um, with the priorities of like, to put it flatly, like America as a nation, um, in the world and his major failures so far have been kind of his like outlandish, um, ideas like that come from himself that aren't just like necessarily facing, uh, government priorities that are sort of already happening. I mean, to his credit, he was early to all of these things. Um, You know, he clearly has an eye for opportunity 
And so far, his greatest opportunities have been to insert himself into, um, for example, America's geopolitical geopolitical needs with rockets um, and its climate goals um, with electrification and vehicles. So, I mean, all of this is obviously extremely interesting and um, important to discuss in terms of what function does Musk serve um, in addition to the, the, the unmitigated chaos that like his personality brings to the entire equation. I have a lot of questions. The just one is a comment. Like I think you see that dichotomy between the big swings for personal reasons and kind of uh, seeing trends and seizing a moment, even at the very beginning, right? Because you have, he, he made video games that nobody played like a long time ago. And at the same mm-hmm. time, like gets in on PayPal real early, recognizes the opportunity there that helps build his fortune. Right. Um, you said that he serves a function. Can you elaborate on that? What function does Elon Musk serve? Well, I mean, we've seen like in the, like over the last few decades in America, like a push towards privatization in general and sort of the valorization of, private capital in doing things that the government used to do um, and specifically to America's benefit or like the benefit of the nation. Like America has goals in space that are American goals. They're not goals for the benefit of the entire world necessarily. Like America wants to own the commercial um, space space <laughs> like you know like the the space of like commercial space uh america wants to be at the forefront of that and that has that kind of discussion has been going on for a very long time um and you know there's a lot of talk about like the role that the obama administration played uh in sort of boosting spacex which by that point around like 2010 or 2011 had already sort of like been ingratiated to the government, gotten tons of grants and sort of positioned itself as being like a private company that can build rockets and really pull this off. Um, And, but what Obama did in the Obama administration, which itself was very deferential to Silicon Valley and big tech and sort of that whole wave of American capital um, like he ended NASA's uh, crewed space program essentially, and SpaceX was ready to step into that. So, by function, I guess I just mean that you know he's been willing to put his hand up and take risks to sort of throw himself into the gap and do these things that are sort of already in the ether or on the horizon and reap the benefits. Um, in doing that. All right, cyber listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after these words from our sponsor. If you're watching the live stream, there are no ads. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. 
Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We are talking to Jordan Pearson about Elon Musk. Um, I want to highlight, too, that Musk often throws his hand up, as you say, uh, but then also becomes the face of these things when he is not always necessarily the, the only person doing it or even necessarily the best, right? Like electric cars, he on the forefront of it, but other people, like the competition is coming. And in a lot of ways, it's already here. <clears throat> uh, rockets as well. Other companies, and it's in fact built into the way the Pentagon uh has set up contracts for rockets is that there has to be competition. There has to be other people other than uh, Musk who are, are shooting rockets into space. And it's, I'm going to screw up the name of the company, but it's a, it's a partnership between Lockheed Martin and another one of the defense companies um, is like Musk's biggest competitor, which is why mm-hmm. uh, sometimes Musk makes fun of the guys on Twitter and yells at them for having government contracts, the same ones that Musk does. Uh, He sets himself up in a way to be the guy that also takes the fall and takes the criticism for these projects. Like no one's talking about rockets that aren't SpaceX or Jeff Bezos, right? Even though defense companies are quietly working on it all the time. Is that another function he serves in our public discourse to be the fall guy willingly? I don't know if he sets himself up to be the fall guy. I mean, I hope, I think he probably hopes he never will fail. <laughs> like, I think he sets himself up to be the public face of these things because being a showman and being a salesperson for himself and the stock of his own companies um, is a big part of what he does. Um, like when you look at like Tesla stock, for example, this is a good example of this. Um, so Tesla stock is plunging right now. Um, and it really doesn't have much to do with Tesla. Um, it's because, uh, of his nonsense over at Twitter. Um, of course he has some Tesla shares on the line, um, for the Twitter deal as well. But I think it just shows like how, Tesla stock in particular, which is the only publicly traded stock in his portfolio, is kind of a barometer for him. So, you know, his like sort of cult of personality and the image that he puts out there for himself and of his companies um, is, I mean, it's instrumental to uh, the stock price and to his sort of continued success. Like, he is really sort of brute forcing his way through all of this through an attempt to through an attempted like i I don't want to say charm offensive because i think the charm is often quite lacking but through like in terms of the promotion like you know like pure showmanship and like bluster um and we've seen how that like sort of overreached with the twitter deal um, because, you know, by his own admission, like he, he didn't really like want to buy it by the end of the process and overpaid for it. And like, you know, maybe that initial offer, we don't know, but maybe that initial offer was basically just, you know, him trying to like talk a big game for himself yet again. 
Um, and, but this time, uh, it's sort of failed, but his, his, uh, function as being kind of like a promoter, um, as being as much of a part of his job as being, um, maybe even more of a part of his job as than being, you know, someone who makes business deals or someone who's an engineer, um, you know, that is as much of a part of the Musk equation as anything else. And, might even be at this point now that he's established these companies and he's really just trying to make it work and boost the stock price may maybe even be the most important part of the Musk equation. And part of the entertainment with the whole Twitter thing is we're seeing that very publicly, you know, crumble because he's having a meltdown essentially um, in his tweets. So, and that's affecting the, the Tesla stock. Um, because, uh, you know, he's a salesperson, uh, quickly is the United launch Alliance is the SpaceX competitor, which is Boeing and Lockheed. Just wanted to get that out of the way. Right. Um, all right. So a couple things, one, I would observe that like a big blustering showman business guy is part of the whole American deal, right? Like we, our history is full of those people. Um, we often idolize them. We set them up. You learn about them in history class, right? Um, I think the Ur version would maybe be, uh, 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 the Tesla rival. I can't remember his name. Edison. Good Lord. That's sad Mm. on a, on a live stream too. Edison, obviously. Uh, the other thing I think is fascinating about this conversation is that this is Musk is a guy that, when he does something like go on Joe Rogan and smoke weed, when he does something like publicly tweet through a bad business deal, um, people lose money. Government, the, the government launches investigations. This is a guy that lives in the public space and every single one of his actions seems to have enormous consequences. Uh, what do you make of all of that? I mean, you're right. Like, I think part of what's at war in Musk all the time is like this side of him that is very chaotic and craving validation and attention. And part of that is like a very real business need for him to sort of gather all the attention around himself and uh, promote his companies that way. Um. But I think he's just, you know, the other part of it is uh, the function that he serves in terms of geopolitics and the priorities of the American economy and the American government in terms of space and electrification. I think he feels probably very comfortable um, right now. Like he probably feels that with SpaceX, at least like, he grasps the deal. Like he's no dummy. Like he knows that SpaceX is in the position it is right now because America needs a vertically integrated space company that is making American rockets in America for America. And that is, um, a very big thing. Uh, and SpaceX managed to do that, um, through, you know, it's connections with people in government and for getting, uh, getting grants over the years and this type of thing. Um, so it's a really, uh, sort of interesting and chaotic interplay of like the, the sort of like very 
like, and both of these things are very American, even if they seem contradictory. It's like, on the one hand, you have this like blustery salesperson who's like, you know, egotistical and like sort of narcissistically sucking all the air out of the room to boost his stock price and his projects. And on the other hand, in the same person, you have this person who's like, you know, performing an extremely valuable function for the American state at the current moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Powerful people are watching Musk and are conflicted. (laughs) I'm sure. But like, I think the SpaceX one is SpaceX and Starlink are the ones that are really important. Um, It's like the news cycle moves so fast that we've almost forgotten. I think that, you know, he decided to dip his toe into the Ukraine war and do whatever the fuck he was doing. Uh, back then. Uh, but I do want to talk about uh, real quick, the problems that SpaceX solves. Um, and I think it's a part of the American military that we don't talk about a lot. That is, I think probably the thing that makes it the most powerful uh, and it's not interesting or sexy at all. Um, it's logistics. SpaceX for the Pentagon is not about Getting, I mean, to a certain extent, it is about like putting weapons in space eventually, right? But like near-term goal is it's about using rockets to move cargo very quickly. It is about being able to ship like an Abrams tank or food across the planet as quickly as possible. Uh, And like we've seen the contracts, like that is what they're actually working on. Um, that's what's been awarded. That's what they're talking about doing. They're talking about like, you know, instant shipping of met, of uh, military supplies with SpaceX rockets, right? Um, and in addition to that, you have this satellite communication system that is essentially getting beta tested as a form of battlefield communication in the war in Ukraine. Sorry, everybody. I've got a cat that needs to move. There we go. Um and I think this is a big part of why they, the military like can't quit him, right? No matter how much weed he smokes on Joe Rogan or how much wild shit he says. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think you're completely right on that. Like um, at the present moment, the, the function that SpaceX serves um, for the American state seems important enough that we can suffer, um, you know, the chaos he causes elsewhere. Um, I mean, you know, it's interesting cause like te- Tesla is the same way. Like it's, it's a vertically integrated company. Um, and he seems to like apply this, uh, technique or this logic across multiple companies where it's like, you know, we're going to do this thing that rides the wave of current priorities in the West and we're going to vertically integrate it and build it and sell it in the West. Like he opened a Shanghai factory in 2019 for Tesla, but the majority of Tesla's um, factories and employees um, are in the States and Europe. Um, So, I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence that his strategy is like glom onto a Western priority, siphon away those government benefits and vertically integrate it in the West as much as you can. Um, and yeah, like I think like at the current moment, like this is like the key tension with Musk and like 
why he's still such a big part of the public discussion is like, you know, obviously he's bought Twitter and it's a huge mess and it's really entertaining and what's going to happen. Um, but it's SpaceX specifically to a lesser degree, Tesla, but definitely SpaceX that is keeping him in the game, so to speak. Tekagul has a really good question that's been on my mind a lot lately. lately. Uh, sure. Then how long will these relatively conservative institutions bear his antics? Will his precarious finances be a turning point? Um, I would just point to, I want to, I've got two data points on this and then I want to hear your thoughts, Jordan. Um, first I would say that when he smoked weed on Joe Rogan, uh, Pentagon launched investigations cause they wanted to know, you know, if your CEO is smoking weed on a podcast, like what's the culture like at SpaceX, uh, $5 million audit that guess who paid for it? Uh, American taxpayer. They paid that $5 million. Uh, to do a culture re- cultural cultural review of SpaceX because he smoked. Um, stupid, but that was one of the consequences. The other one more recently is him getting pretty wild about Starlink and the war in Ukraine. Um, after he had said that he was no longer going to be footing the bill for some of it, um, CNN acquired some documents from the Pentagon that showed some of their contracts with Starlink and even got some, uh, some on background quotes about how the Pentagon had actually been footing the bill for a lot of this and how they were pretty upset about the way that he was talking about Starlink and Ukraine in public. So we have seen these moments of pushback from these conservative institutions, right? Um, Jordan, what do you think? I mean, I think we've seen him already do these things and sort of sail through. Like, I don't know how much, I don't know what more he can say in public than like publicly contradict, you know, uh, the American government's line in Ukraine and explicitly support uh, Russia's position, essentially. Like, that's eh, it's kind of as bad as it gets for like an American military contractor. But, um, you know, he backtracked, he sailed through that, essentially. In terms of like, if Twitter completely ruins him somehow, which I think um, is unlikely um, to the, you know, ruins him to the extent that like SpaceX also goes bankrupt. Um, You know, I think we'll probably be talking about a bailout for SpaceX because of how key it is to um, the American space program currently. uh, And, to uh, its military ambitions in the near future as well. So, you know, whether at that point Musk would be forced to step out or whether he would remain CEO, I'm not sure. Like, I think, like, you know, the line is probably a lot further than anybody thinks or maybe hopes it would be for him. Uh, Like, I don't really know how much worse it could get in terms of what he says publicly for it to be enough of an issue with the government that they take away his contracts financially. If he gets completely wrecked, that might be something else. I mean, who knows? Like, maybe we won't hear from Musk after that. But I think even in that case, you know, probably SpaceX will will stick around. Yeah, I think like I foresee I could see them. I could see him getting pushed out of SpaceX or, I mean, there are, there are other reusable rocket companies 
they don't, they like, there's other places they could go. And if he becomes enough of a pain in the ass, I mean, you're not getting the same shit from Raytheon or Boeing or Lockheed, right? You don't have Mm -hmm. to, you don't have the same set of problems. They all, those people all get the game and they understand, you know, Musk is very interested in having a persona, uh, and letting it play out online in front of everyone. And I do think at a certain point that there might be pushback that sees him. I don't know. If you could have SpaceX and Starlink without having Musk, wouldn't you do it? Yeah, I mean, never say never. Um, it could happen. But I think it would be a self-inflicted wound, like a, a mortal self-inflicted wound at that point. And Maybe he's headed in that direction. Um, it certainly looks as though his decision making is compromised and has already led to some very um, severe difficulties for him um, personally and business wise. Um, but I mean, I don't know. Like, we'll have to see. Like, I see SpaceX currently like being. Um, too important to let go. Like, you know, maybe even their tech, maybe, maybe SpaceX goes bust. They get bought for parts by, you know, Northrop Grumman or Lockheed Martin or Boeing. Um, and maybe we never hear from Musk again. I don't know. Um, it's tough to say. Maybe that'll happen. I mean, I'm sure we'll all see it happen on Twitter live in real time. And it'll be yet another round of uh, entertainment slash horror. Uh, Tech Ghoul brings up another interesting point that I want to highlight here. Uh, I also think messing with Twitter is risk because it plays such an outsized role for politicians. How many overt enemies can one billionaire carry? Uh, a lot. I think uh, billions of dollars buys you a lot of cover. But I also – I every time the Twitter conversation gets brought up, like I have uh, a lot of normal, extremely offline friends that think all of this shit is like who cares? Um, and I can't stress enough. Twitter is weirdly important because it is a place where like Zelensky can yell at Musk. It is a place where world governments can talk to each other. Yeah. All the journalists are on there and we all are, I mean, motherboard increasingly is off of it for various reasons, but it is a place where world governments are and talking and it's kind of like that in telegram ain't no one checking their Facebooks. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like, yeah, it's all, it's funny to watch Musk sink this place. Uh, but it is an important social media space that does have a bunch of power users. Right. Yeah. And I mean, the politics question is interesting when it comes to Twitter because like, you know, this is political as well. Like, um, we talked about how with SpaceX and with Tesla as well, um, part of his you know, insight or opportunism there has been to ride um, currents in American politics. And Twitter is the same thing, like in, in you know, bringing back Trump and by, you know, basically everything he's done, um, he is aligning himself um, with a powerful current in American politics. And that means politicians who are very much in favor of what he's doing and what he's saying. So the degree to which he's making political enemies on Twitter, like obviously he is, but he's also aligning himself with a political current at the same time 
And I think he is probably hoping that that wins out um, in the end in terms of, I mean, even the verification thing, like, um, you know, I think really what it comes down to is sort of backlash against journalism, like not to make it like all about journalism or something, but uh, when you think about like the, the blue checks, the hated blue checks, um, you know, these are, this is like a group of people who are not famous in their own right. Let's say like when people say like, I hate blue checks, they're not thinking of Chrissy Teigen, you know, like they're thinking of like, um, a writer from some mainstream media outlet that has a blue check. They're thinking for, about op-ed writers from the Atlantic. Yes, exactly. Right? Uh, who have a blue check because of, you know, their connection to journalism. And Musk has been very, very clear over the years how he feels about journalism in general and journalists. Like, basically, um, he sees journalists as having unearned authority uh, to check him, basically. Um, yeah, and tell us he, about, uh, was it, Pro- he wanted Pravda.com? Yeah, yeah. He wanted to, you know, he's, one of his things that he said that never panned out was he wanted to start a website to like for the public to like rank journalists and outlets by like trustworthiness. And, you know, this is obviously like part of the same thing with verification. It's just the same idea of like taking um, journalism down a peg um, because it inconveniences him uh, and brings to light facts that he doesn't like or, or, or like, you know, facts are inconvenient to the right wing cause in many cases. Um, and it's very easy to see how the entire like mission with Twitter right now aligns with his rich buddies, his political buddies, um, politicians and wealthy people who maybe he's not personally friends with, but are part of this like general, um, political current in America um, like it is political and like, uh, the, the politics of that represents like our ascendant and, uh, the people who hold them, um, have real power and Musk is aligning himself, uh, with that, with the Twitter deal. So it's not so dissimilar from SpaceX and Tesla. It's just like in the opposite direction politically. And, you know, if, if you see, electric cars as being a leftist cause. I don't know that it necessarily is, but it's definitely good for the planet. It used um, to be. I don't know that it is anymore. Yeah. Right. Musk, right? Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's interesting because this is like, it's a similar thing. It's a similar game plan. Like, you know, following a political current, trying to reap the downstream rewards from it uh, and sort of, running a company through brute force, you know, whether that's like disciplining labor or like vertical integration with SpaceX and Tesla, but maybe in Twitter, that's more in the sense of just like power flowing up to Musk. But we see these patterns like repeated over and over. All right. I've got just uh, two more questions for you. Uh, And then I'm going to go eat lunch. Um, Why do you think he has a cult of personality? Why do people like him so much? I mean, you sort of mentioned this before, but like he's he's really just like this American ideal in a sense. 
um, like whether or not it's 100% based in reality or whether it's just a fabrication of himself, plus like the culture that is ready to receive and support this type of person. Um, but you know, he, it, people called him like Iron Man or like Tony Stark for a really long time. And like, there's something to that. Um, just in the sense that like, his wealth and his ambition and his willingness to align himself with existing um, currents of power or geopolitical trends. It gives him enviable superpowers to anyone in America. Like, you know, the fantasy of how many um, people who bought into sort of the right wing line about um, social media and Twitter in particular and, you know, the quote unquote cathedral and all of these sorts of things, you know, it's a personal dream of theirs just to buy Twitter and destroy it or run it how they see fit. And someone who has the sort of brute force um, through the capital they control to be able to do that is like, you know, it's the quintessential like American, like it's as close as you can get to an American superhero in a world where, Captain Captain America doesn't exist because super superpowers aren't real, but wealth is real and capital is real, and he's wielding that in ways that I think is like almost like an element of like um, fantasy fulfillment. Uh, Emory Emory Lee has a question or a statement that I think is really important. I want to highlight here: Iron Man and Tony Stark are fictional characters, uh, which is true, but I think, and specifically in America. And I don't know how people outside of America feel about this, but like America is a very fictional and mythological place. Mm-hmm. That shit is like way more important than it probably should be here. Um, and people have deep abiding relationships with their mythology that transcends reason. I live in the South. That's all we do here. <laughs> Uh, I don't know what your perspective on that is as a, as a non-American Jordan. Yeah. I mean, for everyone listening, I'm Canadian, Um, but we get a lot of American culture here. Um, And yeah, you know, it's this mix of like myth and a culture that, um, you know, American culture produced superheroes. Um, and there's a lot uh, and like continues to sustain interest in superheroes. And a lot has been written about, um, the sort of, you know, fascistic undertones of superheroes. And of course there's the series, the boys, which is really about this. And Alan Moore goes on about this. Watchmen is about this, but, um, so to the extent that America has these like mythological heroes, that are sort of cultural archetypes that are all, that are like ultra powerful and somewhat authoritarian, you know, it's very easy to see how someone like Musk um, fits into that stream and can be like valorized by people who are, you know, primed to be receptive to that um, because superheroes speak to like real world things like the boys maps so well and is so entertaining because um, it sort of casts superheroes more in reality and sort of picks at the real world dynamics that superheroes mythologize, but brings them back to earth in terms of like, you know, the issues with power and power imbalances 
and authority. Um, and Musk uh, really sort of, you know, it embodies like it embodies that. Like he's like he's in the boys, but without superpowers existing. Like it's just money, it's just wealth, it's just capital, it's ego, um, and all of that is just this like delicious soup for the American soul um, that has been primed for like, you know, decades or centuries of its existence um, to valorize these characters in this sort of mode. All right. My last question, what do we risk by not taking this guy seriously? Why do we need to have conversations like this? Cause we all like to dunk and we all like to make fun but I think there's a danger there. Agree? Disagree? Yeah, I mean, it's important to think about Musk um, because you have to understand Musk to understand um, capitalism currently. Like, he's the richest man in the world. It's worth thinking analytically about his business decisions and uh, what has really brought him here and what functions he serves and who has... Um, sort of enabled and boosted him, you know, where the benefits come from. Um, all of that is really important to think about um, because if you're not thinking about it, then you're not understanding the real currents um, of economic and geo- geopolitical power today, which Musk embodies in addition to just being a source of endless, you know, schadenfreude and hilarity um, for, for all of us. <laughs> Jordan Pearson, thank you so much for coming on to cyber and walking us through this. Uh, if you like the show and you miss a little bit of it, it is going to be available as a podcast a little bit later today. And it will of course continue to exist as a live stream on YouTube. If you want to catch the shows live and participate, please follow us on twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV or at youtube.com forward slash motherboard. Follow us there. You'll be notified whenever we go live. And uh, it's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving week here in America. I don't think there's going to be another show this week. I may be wrong. I think we're going to, I think we're going to take some time off and we'll be back next week with two more live streams all about the internet and the wonderful and horrible things that go on. Uh, We'll see you later. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.